Good morning and welcome to Hear Women Talk and the Vicki Childs Show, P.I. Answers. We're glad to have you here today. Our, our very special guest is Steve Abrams and Steve's been on before talking about computer forensics and today he's on talking about cell phone and uh, digital device forensics, uh, spyware, software that's out there and keeping your kids safe on their phones and keeping your own phone safe and private. In my business as a private investigator, I use a cell phone constantly. It's permanently almost attached to my hip. And we start to rely more and more on our digital devices, our PDAs, our smartphones, and and keeping track of our calendars, keeping track of our contacts, um, keeping track of, of Internet and email and Facebook. All can be done on a, a BlackBerry, a smartphone, an iPhone or, or others. So... We've, we've become increasingly reliant on these devices, and if if one got lost or destroyed, if we don't keep them backed up, of course, that could wreck our lives pretty good. The other thing about them, though, with this technology comes the secret side of it, the, the spyware that can be put on these to track your every move. The, the GPS, when it's enabled, can track loved ones or children and, and others. And it, it can be both great, as technology can be, or it can be hazardous. So today, I've got Steve Abrams on. He's an attorney. He is a cell phone and computer forensics expert. Um, he's testified in court many times. He's investigated with federal law enforcement and others certain crimes involving computers and cell phones. He also does forensic analysis of cell phones for evidentiary purposes and today Steve welcome and glad to have you with us uh, thanks Vicki it's, it's good to be here Steve I want to for our listeners that didn't get to hear you on the first time some weeks ago I, I'd like for you to give a little background and tell how you got started in this and um, how it is that you do what you do or why you do what you do basically all right well yeah basically I got started with uh, cell phone Oh, actually, computer forensics to start with. Uh, back in the early 80s, when I was a, a, a contractor to the um, United States government, uh, working mostly through the Air Force, um, and at the time, the Internet hadn't you know, become what it is today. It was just a small network that was used um, for universities and for military contractors, and they needed a way to track packets going back and forth on the network. And so I developed one of the very first packet sniffer um, programs to be able to, to monitor that. Um, and from those beginnings, as computers developed, I uh, became a computer sleuth and, and um, uh, eventually went and got trained uh, both at uh, the police academies and uh, got a lot of federal uh, training. Um, I've been doing um, now cell phone forensics for about the past five years um, and last year I became certified as a, as a mobile device examiner um, training that actually isn't even available in the United States I had to travel out of the country to get that, that certification so um, we're about maybe five years behind uh, on cell phone forensics is about five years behind where computer forensics are um, so we're always playing catch-up because there's so many new devices that come out. Uh, the software is always trying to catch up with the devices that are out there. And the way these devices are being used more and more by just the, the average person, but also business people, people who are committing crimes, people who are kidnapping children, people who are cheating on spouses, the way these things are being used now is is both great and wonderful and it's also sneaky and sly and in some cases criminal as well I want to I want to talk a little bit about what classifies something as a smartphone instead of just okay. a regular phone yeah uh, well a smartphone basically what we have today with our smartphones especially things like the iPhone or the Android operating system phones uh, or the Blackberries um, you basically have uh, a personal computer that's um, small enough to fit in your pocket. Um, and the devices can basically do pretty much anything a personal computer can do. Um, so they do a lot more than just making phone calls. And so 
any phone that will allow you to browse the internet or send instant messages um, or uh, basically uh, take pictures and store those pictures or record uh, audio or video, all those kind of functionality in one device, usually we would refer to that as a smartphone. And video um, and, and audio, I'm sorry, video and audio can be taken instantly and then sent instantly to anywhere in the world, right? Right, right, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, you have um, um, on your hip or in your pocket um, a device that will basically allow you to send live streaming video from basically anywhere in the world where there's a cell phone signal. Um, and we've seen that quite powerfully last year with the uh, street protests in Tehran where they were able to actually get through all the, the government uh, media blackout. The people themselves were streaming from their cell phones to CNN and the other news networks. Okay. And a lot of people, too, have replaced their home phone with a cell phone and only use a cell phone now. And so it has become their their primary source of or way of communication absent any home phone in the or landline phone in the home and it it also has has brought the unwanted I guess solicitation phone calls too that are starting to come in on your cell phone. But one of the things too that I wanted to address today is for those people who are concerned about their their cell phones being infiltrated with spyware and I know in my business I mostly deal with this from clients who are going through divorces and their mm -hmm. estranged husband or wife wants to keep track of their activities and their emails and their text messages and their phone calls and they they can actually put this spyware on the phone of the person that they want right. to keep track uh, of explain that and right. what that I is mean, Sure. Uh, there are a number of different types of spyware available these days for um, for um, cell phones, and, and, and essentially, I'm getting more and more of these people uh, who are concerned about their phones having spyware on them call me, and it's just too coincidental that you know, somebody, for example, their their spouse is in the midst of a of a domestic dispute with suddenly knows every place that they've gone or suddenly knows everybody that they've talked to or emails or instant messages that they've sent. Um, and um, th there are, there are um, probably half a dozen tools, uh, spyware programs, that anybody can go on the Internet and buy and then download onto certain phones. And, and they are specific as to what type of phone... Um, they work with so it's like not every um, spyware will work on every phone but but most of the spyware that's out there for cell phones uh, they'll work with the Android phones most of the high-end Nokia phones the iPhones the Blackberries and uh, phones like the HTC cell phones that are based on Windows um, operating system um, and how would, how would somebody get that how would somebody get that spyware on a phone? Uh, well, the way that the spyware gets on the phone, uh, it, it used to be, you know, in the old days, like six months ago, um, the way you would get the spy spyware on the phone would be to actually physically take the phone and connect it th through a USB cable to a computer and then download the software onto the phone. But... Um, just as spyware has evolved on computers so that you no longer have to have physical contact with the phone, um, the newer spyware claims, and I've never actually seen this done in, um, in the field, but there are claims now that you can actually uh, infect the phone with spyware uh, without actually having physical access to the phone. Uh, the easiest way to do that is through the, the Bluetooth connection that most of these smartphones have. Um, and the way you can protect yourself against uh, invasion through the Bluetooth um, port, if you will, is by simply turning Bluetooth off whenever you're not act actively using Bluetooth. Um, a lot of people have iPhones, and they don't use a Bluetooth headset or an Android phone or an HTC phone or a high-end Nokia phone or a BlackBerry. If you don't actually use a, uh, a Bluetooth headset, 
then there's really no reason in the world to ever have Bluetooth turned on that phone. And you can go into the settings and turn Bluetooth off, and that will immediately make your phone a whole lot more secure. Um, and if you do use a Bluetooth headset, um, but you don't use it all the time, you can certainly turn Bluetooth off when you're not actually using um, your headset, which will close one of the uh, vulnerable ports, uh, ways that spyware can get onto a cell phone. And, and the other thing is, if you use a Bluetooth, but not all the time, you can also have your phone set so that if something tries to connect to your phone via Bluetooth, it will it, it will ask you, do you want to accept this this connection? Right. And you can say right. yes that, or no. That's so that's another way. Right. Most um, phones where they have Bluetooth, Bluetooth can operate in uh, at least two different modes. Um, because most people who who have phones aren't you know, uh, experts in computers, uh, there's a there's a if you will, a dummy mode that's called promiscuous mode where the phone will basically pair with any Bluetooth device that wants to pair. And the problem you run into there is that someone can go brush by you in the same restaurant or or the, the same office and they can download things onto your phone from across the room if your phone is in promiscuous mode. Mm -hmm. um, so you definitely don't, don't want that. Um, if, in fact, you are going to use Bluetooth, you want to make sure that you set the phone up so that it will only pair um, with the devices that you want it to pair with. Okay. And I want, to, I want to talk a good bit about how you tell the spywares on there, if you can tell, and also what can you do about it whenever you do find out. I want to remind our listeners that they can call questions in at 646-652-2071. 646-652-2071 or go to Hear Women Talk and join in on our chat line and we've got some questions coming in on our chat line now, Steve. So, um, whenever the spyware is on your phone, somebody can track your, track your emails, read your emails, read your text messages and overhear your phone calls, correct? Right. Well, that's only really the, the tip, of, tip of the iceberg. The really insidious thing, there's two other things. So besides being able to read all of your emails and text messages and on some of the phones, uh, listen to your phone conversations actually while they're going on, um, there's two other things that most of these phone spywares allow you to do. One is they allow you to turn the microphone on, on the phone on without ringing the phone. So they actually turn the phone into an eavesdropping device. So you might have the phone in your pocket or in your car, and they can activate the eavesdropping function and be able to listen to any conversation that you may have going on wherever you are, and you have no indication that that's going on, except on some of the, the um, phones, the way you might be able to tell that they're being eavesdropped on is that the light will come on the phone for you know, by itself without any good reason. And that might be one indication that you're being eavesdropped on. Um, the other thing that these phone uh, software spywares allow you to do is they allow you to monitor the GPS uh, chip within the phone, which means that the person can actually turn your phone into a GPS tracking device and be able to see wherever you are and where you're going. Which Good is also you no know, basically, basically it's 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 uh, what we would call cyber stalking. Yes. So, so a, a way to protect yourself is not ever let anybody else have possession of your phone and keep your Bluetooth feature turned off when you're not using it. We're going to take a break, Steve. We'll be back in, in a couple okay. of minutes. Um, call in your questions at 646-652-2071 or join our chat line. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to our show. Our special guest today is Steve Abrams, and this is the Vicki Child Show on HearWomenTalk.com. I'm glad you joined us. If you have questions that you want to call in, you can call our, our chat number. You can also go online to Hear Women Talk and um, join our chat. The phone number you can call is 646-652-2071. Steve, we had a question on the chat line while we were at break that 
um, somebody was asking if the software is on your phone but the Bluetooth is turned off after that software has been right. installed on your phone can the person still intercept your calls and emails and text messages uh, that's, a, that's a very good question and, and the answer is absolutely yes um, once the software is connected uh, is, is on your phone it actually doesn't use the Bluetooth to send uh, the eavesdropped material back to whoever is listening it actually most of these softwares use SMS messaging in order to get the um, the eavesdropped material back to whomever set up the spyware. So okay. the Bluetooth is only necessary to install the software on the phone, not to actually use the software. Right, because they can th those messages will be transmitted regardless of whether the Bluetooth is on. Uh, also, someone That's wanted right. to uh, Steve from South Carolina wanted to to discuss the legalities of putting that spyware on the cell phone. Is it legal or is it a wireless or transmission or interception rather and and what implications are there there? Alright, well it depends on, on, on who it is that you're listening to. Um, in almost every case it is an illegal wiretap to put spyware on someone's phone and then listen to their conversations or intercept their uh, electronic communications, their emails, or their or their uh, instant messages. Um, the only case where it might be legal would be if you're in fact listening to, if you're a parent and you're listening to a minor child's conversations. Um, there is a doctrine of vicarious consent, which is recognized in some states, not in in other states. It is recognized here in South Carolina, um, and it basically says that if you have an objective um, reason uh, that you believe that um, you, know, you, you have to reasonably believe that the interception is in the child's best interest. So um, if in fact um, your child might be involved in something that's um, either they're involved in a relationship that you think is dangerous, um, I mean the, the classic case um, you know, is um, is a case which which occurred um, in the state of of Georgia in uh, 1997, where a, a someone's mother picked up the phone and heard her 13 year old daughter involved in a uh, conversation with a 38 year old man named Kyle Richard Bishop, and um, she then proceeded to tape the calls. Uh, the daughter was actually conspiring with Bishop, who lived across the street to murder her parents and in exchange he would she would give him sexual favors um, certainly in that situation uh, uh, when it went to court the prosecution wanted to use those tapes that the mother had made of her daughter um, and uh, mr. Bishop moved to suppress those tapes because of the violation of the wiretap act um, and the court held that there was actually a doctrine of vicarious consent because the, the mother had a reasonable um, uh, belief and and right to protect her daughter and therefore vicarious consent was actually um, um, a, um, a a loophole if you will in the wiretap act so except for the situation where you might be listening in or seeing what your children are doing for example these days a lot of teens are in, into sexting you might want to make sure that your uh, child isn't involved with, with sex, sexting that might be in some states a the, there might be a legal um, loophole in this vicarious consent where you might be able to use this cell, spy, cell phone spyware and not violate the law. So but that in most brings cases, the, it would be a violation. Okay, and that brings me to a question by another listener, Linda from North Carolina, wanted to to know if she suspected her child was doing drugs or texting someone he or she shouldn't be sexting or texting. Is there a way to see? the conversations even if they delete those text messages okay um, again that really depends on the type of phone um, on, on some phones we have better luck than other phones in getting back the the SMS messages once they've been deleted um, as I said earlier the uh, science of cell phone forensics is pretty much in its infancy compared to where computer forensics are and on computers we can routinely recover just about everything that's been deleted 
Um, on a cell phone, uh, generally there's not a hard drive. The contents are stored in, in volatile um, solid-state memory devices, some of which will um, require the phone to be powered on in order to maintain the, uh, the data, and others don't. Uh, but in most cases, on a cell phone, if you delete a message, uh, it is actually deleted to a point where it can't be recovered, uh, with certain exceptions. Um, depending on what type of phone it is, some of the phones can be um, imaged, if you will, um, in what we call a physical image, whereas we're actually getting down to the level of the chip and recovering everything that's on the non-volatile RAM chips. In that case, we can get back SMS messages once they've been deleted. Okay, and does, does, phones, does, the, uh, does the cell phone carrier like Verizon or T-Mobile or Sprint, do they, in their computer system somewhere, is there a record of those text messages? Uh, generally not. Okay. Um, most of the cell phone providers, un unless they're alerted in advance, for example, by the police, to, uh, to monitor and save uh, text messages, most of the carriers will not uh, monitor or save uh, SMS messages. And they're, the only place where you can recover them from is from either the sending or the receiving uh, phone. Okay. So since we're on the, the, the topic of sexting, I, I was, uh, was going to get into this later, but we had a question regarding... Um, not necessarily a hypothetical situation, but an actual situation where there was a 17-year-old girl who sent her 19-year-old boyfriend some pictures of herself, and I'm guessing those were right. uh, naked pictures, thinking that they would be seen only by him. These these mm -hmm. two kids are now in a, arguing with each other, and he's threatening to send those pictures to everyone in his contact list. Number one, she's 17. And this is, uh, I think, North Carolina. So she's 17. He's 19. She sent the pictures to him. What, what's, the, what's the deal there? And if he starts sending them out, what, the, what are the repercussions on him? Well, I would think whether well, you've asked, I think, four different legal questions. Here. I know. <laughs> um, the, first, the, the, the first question is, uh, is there any... Um, crime that's been committed in a 17-year-old taking obscene pictures of herself, um, perhaps pornographic pictures of herself, and sending them to her 19-year-old boyfriend. And, and the answer there really depends on um, the nature of the pictures and what they depict. Um, and it depends on what the, um, what the age of consent is in the state in which she uh, resides. And, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I'm a licensed attorney in the District of Columbia and South Carolina, so I know the law in both of those jurisdictions. I'm not as familiar with the law in North Carolina. But if it were, in fact, South Carolina, where our age of consent is 16, um, she would not be violating uh, the child pornography laws, the state laws of South Carolina. However, the child pornography laws federally um, are girls under the age of 18. So depending on what's depicted, if the depictions fit within the description of child pornography under the federal statute, it's very possible that she may have violated the federal statute by, um, by, both, um, by both creating and then uh, disseminating child pornography. Um, and, if, and then if he takes that picture, if he takes those pictures or, and sends them on to other people, is he violating right. the law? Well... There, there's both a criminal aspect to that and there's a, a civil acts aspect to that, a, a, a privacy violation or a tort um, violation. As far as the civil side is concerned, um, that would be an, an interesting call because generally when somebody, um, for example, sends a letter and a text message is, is analogous to a letter, when somebody sends that letter to a third party, they pretty much relinquish their control of it. So um, as far as tort liability is concerned, that would be an interesting question, and I'm not really sure which way it would come down on it. I mean, if she, though, had some reasonable belief that it was going to be kept private and then he disseminates it 
to people who she had no intention that it would go to, she might have grounds as a, um, un, un, under a privacy tort to, to bring a, um, a civil suit against him. Um, as far as uh, criminal liability goes, again, it re- depends on what the uh, age of consent is and the definition of child pornography is under the state statutes that would be affected with whatever state he's so let's make um, this a little a simpler. If we make this a little simpler, then for for our listeners, and we talk about uh, a fourteen or fifteen year old girl who has a okay. self has a cell phone, or or just takes images of herself with a regular camera, and she is naked, whether her face is showing or not. I don't know that that matters, but if she s- takes those pictures and then she sends them to her quote right. boyfriend or best friend. And then that person sends them on. So you have the creation of the child porn, and then you have the dissemination of the child porn. And don't go away because right. I want you to answer that question when we come back. we got to take a break. But keep that question in your head because I, okay. I want to address that. And we'll be right back on the Vicki Child Show with special guest Steve Abrams discussing cell phone forensics. Stay with us. Thank you for coming back to the Vicki Child Show on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Our special guest today is Steve Abrams, talking about cell phone forensics. Steve, before the break, we were talking about taking naked images of of yourself, children doing this, and then sending it to their friends or boyfriend, and that being disseminated. And I want to go to the to the 14 and 15 year olds, the people who are obviously juveniles, and they do this mm-hmm. because it's the love of their life or it's done as a joke or whatever it may be. And during the break, you and I were talking about how they could possibly end up on a sex offender registry later on and how that, that can harm them for the rest of their life. So talk about that. And also, if the face is not showing, but there's some other way right. okay. on, on that body to identify them, does it matter? Well, it, it does, and in fact, um, I know here in Charleston, uh, when I have a case like that, uh, where I don't have a face and, and I have a, a body of a, uh, of a young child that I believe is child pornography, there are experts, uh, the FBI here in Charleston has an expert, um, who can actually look at the morphology of the, of the child and be able to tell within a year or so the, the age of the child depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, the one complicating factor there, though, is that a lot of times what will be done, not necessarily with sexting, but with child pornography that you might get on the Internet, is that they'll take a, a girl, mostly, who is 18 but who looks younger than 18, and then they'll actually morph the image to make her appear even um, as if she's no, as 13 or 14-year-old. Um, so you don't always know by looking at the body whether it hasn't been... Uh, photoshopped to look like a much younger child than it actually is. But getting back to your question about uh, 14 or 15 year olds who are sexting, that's actually becoming a very uh, large problem. In fact, um, there was a nationwide survey by the National Campaign to Support Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy, and they found, um, and this was just uh, last year in 2009, um, they found that roughly 20% of teens admitted to participating in, in sexting, taking pictures of themselves or having a girlfriend or boyfriend take pictures of themselves and send the pictures uh, via cell phone to them or they, they send the pictures to their boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty widespread problem. And as, as you said, if it were to be prosecuted as child pornography, then both the child who took the pictures and the child who received the pictures um, could be tried for child pornography charges. And uh, if they were convicted, they would end up on a, on a sex offender registry. Um, and then for, forever, for their entire life, they'd be known as a dangerous sex offender, which would be stigmatizing for their entire life. Um, and a lot of the state legislatures have taken up this, um, this problem. Um, Vermont was one of the first states, and Vermont Senate passed um, a bill um, in April of 2009, um, and then it moved on to the state house in Vermont. 
and it basically carved out an exemption from prosecution for child pornography for 13 to 18-year-olds, uh, either on the sending or the receiving end of the sexting messages, uh, so long as the sender voluntarily transmits an image of himself or herself. Mm-hmm. So they understood that you know, children are involved with this. And then rather than trying them for child pornography, they'd be tried for this sexting violation, um, and they would have to do um, some form of community service rather than serving a jail sentence and being put on the sex offender list. Um, and other states, um, Ohio and Florida, have followed suit. Um, and there's about 14 other states right now that have legislatures that are considering uh, these same sexting laws to sort of soften uh, the punishment for 13 to 18 year olds who are voluntarily sending pictures of themselves across the internet or or using their uh, cell phones. Well, for purposes of, of understanding exactly what constitutes sexting. It, what in your what in your legal opinion and knowledge from what you do um, classifies as sexting? Well, most of the time, sexting involves two things. It's it's both uh, the dissemination of uh, pornography and then uh, the use of instant messaging to uh, essentially send um, obscene material. Uh, back and forth, um, sometimes accompanied with a, though, an, an auto self act, uh, sex act at the same time. Right. Right. Um, so it's sort of like phone sex, but rather than being on a, uh, on a phone where you can actually hear the other person, you're sending text messages back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of like phone sex using text messages and, and uh, transmitted pornographic pictures. Okay, so as a parent then, uh, short of, uh, of, of the spyware, which I wanted to ask you too, what is the cost of that spyware? If somebody bought it, it's not cost prohibitive actually, is it? It's, it's not no, terribly expensive. No, uh, in most cases it, it's between 100 and $300. Okay, so, so short... So it's really not that expensive. All right, so short of going and purchasing spyware software to monitor their kids' activities, what do you suggest they do other than having a good long talk about how much trouble they can get in? But what else? Well, I mean, one thing that they that parents might want to do is have a policy with their children that at the end of the day, the kids have to hand over their phone to their parents who can flip through and see what kind of stuff is on the phone. Um, or the parents might want to do that without telling the child that they're doing it, just you know at night, just take a look at the phone every night and just make sure there's nothing on there that you consider to be inappropriate. Um, there are also phones for younger children where the parents actually set up the phone numbers that the children are allowed to call or receive calls from. Um, and that then will, um, you know, the phone will be useful um, in emergency situations or to call a parent or to call home, but can't be used for other purposes, such as uh, sending pictures or texts to uh, to friends, mm-hmm. um, and depending on the age of the child, that might be an appropriate measure to take as well. Okay. Um, now I want to talk about GPS-enabled phones and keeping track of okay. people that way, either 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 elderly people that we might be concerned about or our kids, right. and. Uh, you know, obviously, it can be abused in in divorce situations or even child custody situations. And you mentioned the ability of that software to turn the microphone on and overhear conversations. But if right. if we're using GPS in a way to track our kids or someone else we love, is 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 that a good thing? And how does one go about doing that? Sure. Um- what we had talked about before with the spyware being illegal uh, is because it, it violates uh, the Wiretap Act. Both state and federal um, jurisdictions have a Wiretap Act that prevents you from intercepting either oral, wire, or electronic communications. Interestingly enough, in the federal Wiretap Act, they've carved out an exemption for tracking devices. That monitoring a tracking device is not a violation under the Federal Wiretap Act. Um, however, and, and 
to me, that's one of the creepiest things. Somebody's following me on my phone, I don't know about it, and it's not protected by the Wiretap Act. Um, there are, um, no, after 9-11, there was a push to have all the cell phone manufacturers include some form of GPS or triangulation off of their cell towers so that cell phones could be um, could be identified as far as their location was concerned. So now just about every phone that you buy has a GPS chipset in it and is aware of its position. Um, and since the phone is aware of its position, uh, somebody who remotely has access to the phone is also aware of the phone's position. Um, and so a lot of the spyware that's out there for phones allows you to monitor the GPS location of the phone. There are also applications uh, for the iPhone or for um, the BlackBerry or the, uh, or the Android phones that allows you to actually use the, uh, the GPS chipset in the phone to report back to your loved ones where you are. Um, and, as, and as you said, somebody with, with, a, uh, with an elderly parent with, uh, with Alzheimer's or a small child, that could actually be a very useful um, function to have. Um, and the one that I have, I um, uh, tried out one of the uh, applications for, for the iPhone. And there's, there's actually, if, if you have an iPhone and you go to the app store application on it and you put GPS in your phone, you'll see there's, there are several different GPS programs that you can download onto the phone. The one that I have is called GPS Tracker. Um, and, and it actually uh, will pair with my Facebook page to report my current location and post it right up on Facebook, um, which isn't necessarily something that I would want. But um, if I had a, you know, a parent who had Alzheimer's, I might want to use an application like that to be able to find them if they, in fact, get lost. Right. Yeah, I don't want my... A position constantly posted on Facebook either. Um, in fact, I don't even talk on Facebook about when I'm going to be out of town. But um, right. But the, having that having that application for for good and necessary reasons is a good thing. It's just like everything else; it can be abused. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to talk of going back to the 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 photos and the possession of child porn just so the listeners understand that even possessing child porn that you know to be child porn on your phone is a violation whether you disseminate it or not isn't it yes it is um when we talk about um child pornography uh we're talking about something that's contraband so just like uh uh illegal drugs just the possession of it itself is the crime. You don't have to have any intent. You just have to have possession. So um, essentially, if, if you have child porn on your computer or on your phone and you know about it uh, and you leave it there or you copy it to some area so you can save it, you've now um, violated most of the various child pornography laws and you can be prosecuted for the possession of child pornography. So, so um, if even children, uh, ch- well, minors, I should say, not necessarily what some people might think of as children, but minors, um, 15, 16, 17-year-olds who receive these images and then keep them on their phone and don't delete them and tell somebody about them can also be charged just by having them and storing them on the phone. That's correct, um, because at that point they would be in possession of child pornography. Okay. So, um, and basically, um, this is the, uh, this getting back to sexting. It's a very big problem because uh, it's sort of uh, a social phenomenon amongst uh, teenagers now. As technology has gotten more advanced, and just about every teenager has a cell phone, and the cell phone has a camera on it. Um, they're more comfortable with um, communicating with their peers electronically, and so sexting has become uh, a very widespread social phenomenon amongst teens. 
Um, and, and the danger is that if they have any of these pictures from their friends who are under the age of consent and who fit within the guidelines of the child pornography laws, then being in possession of their friend's picture puts them at risk of being prosecuted for child pornography, and um, that would land them either in jail or and or on the sex offender list. Which and is if, the, if, if somebody... If somebody has to register as a sex offender in South Carolina, if they move to Georgia, don't they still have to register as a sex offender there, too? Yes. Okay, I thought yeah, so. Anytime they move, they, they have to. And if they move without notifying authorities where they are, that is a separate offense, and they can be arrested for that. Okay. Um, but now once you're on the sex offender list uh, or the sex offender registry, it could affect uh, you might prevent you from... Uh, being able to serve in the military, uh, in law, law enforcement. Uh, it might prevent you from getting either a CPA or a law or a medical degree. I mean, it, it would just basically mess up their entire life. So um, that's why some of the states that I mentioned are trying to soften the laws, specifically if it's teenagers sending pictures of themselves to other teenagers. Okay. We're going to take a break, Steve. I want to remind our listeners that they can either call in or certainly chat online. And we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk and the Vicki Childs Show. Thank you for joining us. Our special guest today is Steve Abrams. And, Steve, when we took a break, we were talking about sexting and child porn on cell phones and being on sex offender registries. And I, um, I don't think kids realize, and hopefully those who are listening will tell their kids just how important it is for them to notify someone if they receive child pornography and not pass it on and get it off their phone because I don't want people to end up on sex offender registries especially as, as children, and then have to carry that burden for right. the rest of their lives. When I do background investigations, pre-employment background investigations and and backgrounds for people that need to have them done for court purposes and stuff, I always check the sex offender registries. And sure enough, sometimes you come up with somebody's name on there. You can also check those lists. For those of you who don't know, you can check the list in your state and find out if any are living near you. Um, I know you can do that here in South Carolina. In most cases, in fact, uh, uh, you mentioned the iPad or iTouch having a, an app. There is a sex offender registry app for the iPad or iTouch, and you can go on there as long as you're connected to, to wireless, and you can check, right. put in your address, and it tells you who within a certain mile radius lives near you that's on a sex offender registry. Right. So it's, it's uh, a great in, in tool fact, um, the, the tool that I have on, on my iPhone is called Offender uh, Locator. Yes, and I have that too. put in your location. I mean, it basically uses the GPS in your phone to find out where you are. Mm -hmm. And then it shows you uh, all the sex offenders around you, including their mugshot and uh, what they were convicted of. So, now, um, one of the other things, Steve, that you do, and I want everybody to know that you can contact Steve at Abrams, A-B-R-A-M-S, forensics.com if you need mm -hmm. somebody to do a forensic analysis of your phone or your computer for court purposes or evidentiary custody of, of that mm -hmm. image. You can contact him there either by email or his, his other contact information is listed there, and certainly he can advise you. You can hire him to do whatever you need to have done. Also... We talk, um, the, let's talk the, the other thing. Go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say uh, the other thing I didn't mention is that besides being an attorney, I'm also um, a state constable in South Carolina, um, and I'm a member of the South Carolina Electronic Crime Task Force. So, if in fact there is a um, a criminal aspect to the case, um, a lot of the cases that I do start off as civil matters and then end up I find evidence of criminal activity which I then can hand over pretty smoothly to the proper law enforcement authorities. Right. So another thing I wanted to talk about is the ability now with with your navigation systems, your TomTom, -tom, your internal navigation system on a car, your Garmin, um, 
and and even OnStar in certain cars. I want you to talk for a minute about how that information can be forensically analyzed and tracked back to see where a person has gone. Right. Well, um, most of the... Um, uh, well, it used to be we talked about cell phone forensics, but over the last year or so, that's sort of been broadened out. So we now talk about mobile device forensics. And included in mobile devices, besides smartphones, are most GPS units. Uh, and what people don't realize is that your GPS has a um, has some non-volatile memory in it, and it is actually keeping track of where you've been. Um, and a lot of the software and hardware that we use for for mobile device examination allows you to take a a GPS unit, such as a, a Garmin or a TomTom. Unit which all have uh, USB ports on the side of them, and actually suck out of the phone the uh, coordinates where the phone has been, which we can then put onto onto a map using using a tool like Google Earth, uh, and be able to actually recreate where you've been on their phone. So even though you don't have a GPS unit tracking your car that maybe a PI put on there you're actually creating that same audit trail of where you've been yourself uh, with your GPS. And sometimes that can be very useful. There was a case a couple of weeks ago of a, of a fisherman who left from North Carolina near the South Carolina-North Carolina border, and several hours later his boat ended up beaching itself in South Carolina without the fisherman. Um, and in searching for him, the authorities were able to take the GPS that was on his boat and determine, based on the memory of the GPS, where the boat had been in the last several hours. And they could then combine, confine their search for the missing um, fisherman who they figured must have fallen all overboard to the areas where the GPS actually told them that it, it had been. Yeah, and I can think of other applications so. where that would be great if you have someone suspected of a, a child abduction or, or an abduction of any kind, a kidnapping of any kind, and then you find the car that was seen in the vicinity of that abduction, then if it has one of those in it, of course you can go in and download all that information and then see that that, that, per, that car had been in the location where that abduction had occurred and track it back to mm -hmm. that person. So in criminal, right. um, even in civil cases where you have custody issues or, or adultery issues and somebody says, well, I've never been in that neighborhood, I don't even know what you're talking about, if they had one of those that then was analyzed. Uh, then they could certainly mm -hmm. see that that the car had been there. Um, I want right. to talk for a second I, I about mean, the other. You know, go I ahead. I was see. just going to say one quick thing. Um, as far as the the abduction scenario that you just gave, a lot of times people who abduct children have some safe place where they've where they secreted those children away. And if you look on the GPS, you might see some location that he kept returning to. And that might give you a good location to look for that child. Or if, you know, God forbid, he had a body to dispose of, you might be able to use the GPS to get back to where the body might have been disposed of. Right. And I want to talk for a minute about track phones. Those, those disposable phones, you can go in Walmart or mm -hmm. convenience stores or Radio Shack or wherever, and you can buy those disposable phones. I know that criminals are using them. I know that that even in divorce cases, sometimes people use them so that their spouse can't track them on their real, their normal phone that they use. And and it's a problem for people like us who do investigations and we, we rely on the phone that somebody typically has, but then they've gone out and bought a, a track phone. And I'm not trying to give anybody ideas out there, but that again, that's part <laughs> of the technology is you, you take the good right. with the bad. But criminals are using them and explain how how people can purchase those phones and and what's happening with them. Sure. Um, uh, basically, track phones, uh, I've seen them very often in marital investigations where somebody has a paramour that they're communicating with. Um, you can go to basically any Walmart or, or any other store like that, um, to the Target store or Kmart, and you'll see that all of the, the cell phone providers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, um, have phones that are basically shrink-wrapped in plastic that are hanging there at the store. Um, and you can buy one of those phones. Typically, they're anywhere from $30 to $100. Um, and 
you can recharge them the minutes rather than buying a service plan like you would with a regular cell phone. They're actually prepaid phones. So you can buy um, um, basically uh, their cards, like credit cards, you can buy at the same Walmart store that has a certain number of, of minutes that you've bought, and you can transfer those minutes uh, using usually an 800 uh, phone number to the phone. Um, the thing that's really um, insidious about those phones is when they first came out, you had to give all your identifiable information as to where you lived and your credit card number and all that so that there'd be a way to trace the person back to the phone. Um, the last time I bought one of those phones was a couple months ago. They've now changed procedures, so all you have to do is call an 800 number from the phone itself uh, to activate the phone, and you don't, don't have to give any um, identifiable information except the zip code that you are mostly going to be using the phone in, and even that, I don't think they have any way of verifying other than the fact there's probably a GPS in the phone. And, and they might be able to verify the um, the location of the phone when it was registered. Okay, so so if if one of those phones is found at the scene of a crime or in a civil case, or uh, you find one in your house and you you want to know what's on it, can you also forensically analyze those yeah. quickly? Because we're running out of time. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, most of those phones have the same SIM card in them that any phone you would get from one of the cellular providers. And we can take that SIM card and that phone and we can analyze it just like any other phone. Okay, good. Um, and, Steve, I want to tell everybody again that you can be reached at abramforensics.com. If, if anybody, and, and my clients on occasion, and certainly um, in criminal cases, for computer and cell phone forensics guys are used all the time, and that they're trained in such a way that the evidence that they collect is stored safely and securely and kept a chain of custody of, so that if it has to go to court, then it's then it's usable. Because if it's collected improperly um, and and not maintained, and if things are destroyed or deleted during the process of of analyzing, then the court case can be all over and, and that stuff can't be used. So Steve and others like him who specialize in this are certainly people who are trained to collect it and analyze it the correct way so that it is usable in court. And anybody that needs to can certainly contact Steve and, and uh, have him work for you. And I'm sure for a, for a price, and we don't have to talk about that right now, Steve, because you're worth every bit of it, but it's not cheap. But yet, it's vitally important in some cases. So thank you again, Steve, for being on the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening right, and I, for, for joining in on the chat. Do you have anything else, Steve? No, no, I, I, I was just, just going to say thank you for having me again. Well, you're very welcome, and I hope all of you will listen to the Jody Lynn Smith Show coming up next on Hear Women Talk. And thanks for joining us on the Vicki Child Show. I'll see you next week. <laughs>